Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. I want to thank all of you for joining us for our 11 o'clock service. We're so thankful, especially to those of you who share this service with your family and friends. That's why we're seeing so many people make great life-changing decisions is because of your um, partnership with us and sharing the services as we come live to you each and every weekend. It's our pleasure. It's our joy. It's our honor. And I'm so glad you've joined us for this service. We're in this series called Exile. And this time of social distancing, when we are quarantined from much of the world, we felt like it might be an appropriate subject to talk about how oftentimes God uses times of exile in his word to do something in his people so ultimately he may do something through his people. And I would say to your hearts this morning, God is doing something in your life today. You may not fully acknowledge it. You may not even completely understand it. But God is working and he's doing something in your life. You, you matter to him. He didn't design you without a purpose or without a plan. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And even in this time of quarantine and this time of, of a separation from each other socially, we understand that these uh, solitary places can also become sacred spaces. And I hope you'll think about that as you, during this time of, of separation, as you give attention to your spiritual uh, part, that part of you that is eternal, your spiritual life. And again, I just want to say, I am convinced that solitary places can absolutely become sacred spaces when we allow them to. Here's what I know about the character and nature of God. He is intentional. He's intentional. God does everything on purpose. He does everything with purpose. He does everything for purpose. And I've said nothing catches him by surprise. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? And he is in control of all things. He is in control of everything. And even this morning, God has a perfect plan for our lives. When the apostles watched him minister and the apostles saw how he handled people in Mark chapter 7, here's what they said of Jesus. He does all things well. Everything he does, he does well. Whether it's teaching or preaching or ministering, he does it well. And in the Sermon of the Mount, he did some amazing things. He taught some incredible principles that can absolutely change our lives. And this morning, I want you to consider with me one of the incredible things he taught, and that was the value of prayer, being in prayer. And he taught us this value that our uh, solitary place can become a sacred space when we pray. And so in Mark chapter, or Matthew rather, chapter six, I want you to drop into this narrative with me on the Sermon of the Mount, beginning in verse seven, and listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you pray. Now he's assuming we're going to pray. Not if you pray, he's saying when you pray. Most everyone prays. And he's saying, when you pray, go to your room. When you've shut the door, 
pray to your father who is in the secret place. Now that's a beautiful thought. I don't want to skip over that too quickly. I want you to consider the fact that your father sees the secret places. Your father sees you in isolation. Your father sees you in solitude. Your father sees you when you feel no one else sees you. Have you ever looked at someone and felt like they didn't see you? Have you ever talked to someone and felt like they didn't hear you? And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon of the Mount as he talks in this section about the power of prayer, he's assuring us that your father sees you. He's assuring us that your father hears you. So when you go into this secret place, when you go into this solitary place, when this place uh, becomes a sacred space, he is saying, you can be assured of this, your heavenly father sees you. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. The Bible says he has the hairs of our head numbered. He didn't say he has them counted. That would mean he knows how many there are. He says numbered, meaning he knows which ones they are. <laughs> he means by that that he knows the most intricate, the most minute details of our life. Nothing skips his attention. He's interested in everything that interests us. If it's big enough to bother you, it's big enough to move the heart of God. So Jesus is reminding us that your father, note now, who sees in secret will reward you openly. God's saying the things you do in solitude and the things you do in secret as you connect with your creator are things I'm going to bless you in public. The things that you've learned while you are socially distancing and the things that you've learned while you are disconnected from your regular life. He said, when you include me and you partner with me in the midst of that, I'm going to bless you when you emerge from this place. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, don't use vain or empty repetition as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. I go back to 1 Kings 18 when Elijah met with the 450 false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. We've been there. And when he stood at Mount Carmel, the, the challenge was the God who answers by fire will be God. They built the altar and they danced around the altar praying. And the Bible said they prayed all day. Talk about a long prayer. They prayed all day. And then dancing around the altar, they tore the altar down. So when they were done and exhausted... Elijah goes and rebuilds the altar. And because God was to answer by fire, he didn't want anyone to say, well, it was just spontaneous combustion. We are in the desert after all. He has them pour water over the fire. And what he was teaching them from that is simply this, a God that can't burn wet wood is no good. And he prays, get this, a 63-word prayer. He didn't pray all day. <laughs> he prayed a 63-word prayer. And the Bible says, then the fire of God fell. You remember when Jesus walked on the water to the apostles when they were in that storm-tossed sea in that little boat, and Simon Peter said, Lord, if, it bid, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. And you remember Jesus said, come on, man. Loosely translated. And Simon Peter went walking on the water to meet Jesus. And then the Bible said he took his eyes off of Jesus and took, put his eyes on the storm. Great principle there. Took his eyes off Jesus, took his eyes, put his eyes on the storm. He took his eyes off the problem solver. He put his eyes on the problem. And the Bible said immediately he began to sink. And did you catch the prayer of Simon Peter when you read that? He said, Lord, help me. A three-word prayer. <laughs> he didn't have time to pray much more. He's going, brother was going down. And I'm telling you, man, when you're in trouble, you don't have time to do long prayers. 
You're going down the road on 1709 or I-35. Sometimes it's, Lord, save me, right? So Jesus is just saying, it's not the length of your prayer. Instead, it's the sincerity of your prayer. So he's saying, don't use these vain, empty words and don't, don't just go on and blather, blah, blah, blah. He said, they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them, he said, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And then he said, in this manner, in this manner, therefore pray. And this next section is what we've called the, the Lord's Prayer. Many of you probably can recite this. You've heard it most of your life if you've been in and around church. But more than just the Lord's Prayer, it's the model prayer. This is the prayer I'm about to share with you where Jesus is teaching us principles. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to approach God with the right mindset, with the right motive. And he's teaching the principles of prayer in the model prayer. By the way, as the apostles observed Jesus, and as they saw him touch blinded eyes and, and unstopped deaf ears, and as they saw him uh, raise the dead, and they saw him give counsel to confused hearts, and they saw him bring joy to burdened hearts, and they saw him put broken lives back together, all of the things the apostles saw him do. When you get to Luke chapter 11, you know what the thing they asked him to teach them how to do? They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to heal as you healed. Lord, teach us how to help people who are broken get their lives back together. Lord, teach us to be more effective communicators. Lord, teach us more of your doctrine. Lord, help us understand. That's not what they say. You read Luke 11, verse 1. They said, get this, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They recognized his prayer with his heavenly father was the secret to his power. His ability to connect with his father was the secret to his wisdom. His ability to connect with his heavenly father was the secret to his effectiveness. And man, when they connected the dots, they said, that's it. I mean, God, teach us, Jesus, teach us, teach us how to pray. We wanted to learn the value of that solitary place that can come a sacred space where we can connect with you in a daily way. And so they say, Teach us to pray. Now that was significant because prayer had stagnated in their day. Prayers had stagnated largely because they had become formalistic. They had become ritualistic. They had become long. Uh, prayers had also become repetitious. Prayers had become something that the average person didn't feel that they could do. The rabbis had taught that you had to say certain things and approach God in a certain way. And by the way, you had to come at him at certain times of the day. One prayer had 60 adjectives before the name of God and you had to get all the names correct and in the right order or God's gonna say, talk to the hand. <laughs> and so no wonder, no wonder they got to where they just didn't pray. They didn't think they could. And they think if they did, they thought God wouldn't hear it. So Jesus comes on the scene, and just before the section I read to you on the Sermon of the Mount, he basically says to them, avoid three things. Pretty simple. Avoid three things when you pray. Avoid hypocrisy. Keep it real, man. Come into his presence with authenticity, with transparency. Be who you are. Don't try to make me think you're something you're not. The idea of hypocrite in the Greek is the idea of role-playing, living behind a mask, trying to be someone or represent yourself as someone that you're not. And Jesus is saying, your heavenly father created you. <laughs> he created you. 
He knows your thoughts. He knows the intention of your heart. And so when you go in there to pray to him, don't try to be a hypocrite. Are you kidding me? It's like the little kid in the corner thinking he's hiding because he's got his eyes covered. <laughs> Our kids would do that. We'd play hide and go seek with them. They'd stand over the corner and let them cover their eyes. And we'd go, okay, well, let's play along. That's what you do when you pray as a hypocrite. You go into the presence of God with your eyes covered thinking he doesn't see you. And I'm just assessing your heart that he was saying, man, if you want to connect effectively with the creator, be real. Be honest. That means, guys, sometimes you're going to pray some broken prayers. That means sometimes you're going to pray some confusing prayers. That means sometimes you're going to pray some angry prayers. But I want to give you some help and I want to give you some encouragement by telling you that his spirit will bear witness with you. And when you don't have the opportunity to put into words what you're feeling, the Holy Spirit can translate the confusion of your heart and make it crystal clear to your heavenly father what you're trying to say. So you don't be a hypocrite. He said, not only don't be a hypocrite, he said, um, don't be repetitious about this. Um, in other words, don't pray the same prayers the same way every time. I've told you before, we don't say our prayer, we pray our prayer. You know, I understand when you're teaching kids how to pray, maybe you say, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep and so forth. Well, that's saying a prayer. And it's okay when the kids are little and you're teaching them how to pray. But man, when you get a little older, you need to kind of expand your vocabulary. When you get up in your 20s, you know, maybe you ought to, you know, you ought to work on that. And so he's saying, don't come at me with some repetition. You wouldn't do that with anyone else in your life. You wouldn't talk to people and say the same thing the same way every time you see them. They'd think you're crazy. So he's saying, don't think God's crazy. He's not. <laughs> so don't be a hypocrite. Come at me fresh. Tell me what's on your heart. And the third thing Jesus said to do is avoid pride. Don't strut in my presence. Don't think you're all that when you come into the presence of God. Don't come in full of pride. Remember when Jesus stooped in the upper room to wash the feet of his disciples and set the example? Man, I've told you before, it's sad to see a humble savior and a proud sinner. And this problem with pride is most people who struggle with it don't know they do. They're quick to point out pride in everybody else's life and they can't see that's prideful in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, you look at Luke 18 and here are these two men who go into the temple to pray. And Jesus said, one man stands in the temple prominently and publicly and he strikes himself on his chest and says, God, first of all, I want to thank you that I'm not like all the other people in here. I'm not like them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having a service, a church service and everybody's sitting in the room, some joker gets up and says, I'm so glad I'm not like any of these people. I'm so much better than they. That's what he said. And then he said, I pay my tithes. He said, I do all this good work for the poor. Want, 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 blah, blah, blah. That was his prayer. And then there was the other man, Jesus said, in the same room, same temple. The Bible said he wouldn't even as much as lift up his head and lift up his eyes and look into heaven. But in brokenness, he said, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, when those two guys left the temple, he said, that humble, broken man is the one who left catching the ear of God and having his soul justified. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, don't bring pride into his presence. When you come into the presence of God, swallow all that. Put all that behind you. I mean, the reality of it is the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
It repels God. It's one of the six things the Lord hates is pride. And Jesus said, when you come into the presence of God, don't bring that. Don't bring that. And then he drops into the model prayer. And here's what he says. He says, look, uh, our father, our father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me give you four powerful principles Jesus taught in the model prayer teaching us how to pray. The first principle is what I'm calling providence. Our father, providence. You are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus said, reverence and revere who he is and whose we are. He is our, our father. And as our heavenly father, he works in this realm of providence. Do you realize right now you are and I am caught up in his providence today? Providence is a great word. It comes from two words, pro-video. It means to see ahead, pro-video, to see ahead. You and I don't have that ability. We live life a frame at a time, a day at a time, a step at a time, a moment at a time. But God has the ability, the alpha and the omega, the A and the Z. He sees the beginning from the end. God sees exactly where we are. He knows where we've been. He knows exactly where we're going. He's not stressed. He's a providential God. And he's saying when you go to him in prayer, understand you are praying to one who loves you better than you love you, who knows you better than you know you. So prayer is simply this, I pray to the Father, through the Son, in Jesus' name, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's prayer. <laughs> I humble my heart, I go to my solitary place, and it's a sacred space, and I begin to call out to God, and I am acknowledging the fact he's providential. I'm praying to him through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that the greater effect of my prayer is not going to be on God as much as that effect is going to be on me. Prayer does change things, but more than pray, prayer changing things, prayer changes us. When you spend time with God, you don't come out of that experience the same. When you spend time with God, he will change your heart and change your mind. And he has this incredible ability to change your life. It's a great power and a great privilege we have when we pray. I would go so far to say every failure in life is a prayer failure. Every success conversely in life is a prayer success. God wants to do so many things and he connects the things that he wants to do in our life to this idea of prayer. In fact, the Bible says prayer is the uh, cure for worry. Philippians 4, 8, Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. Well, how do you pull that off, Paul? By everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What Paul was saying is when you worry about something, pray about it. And the minute you worry about it, pray about it. Worry, pray, worry, pray. <laughs> let that be the trigger. The minute I'm worried, I'm gonna pray because you cannot pray about the same thing you're worried about without one of them canceling the other. And prayer cancels worry every time. Prayer, Jesus said in John 16, prayer is a way to have joy in your life. You want joy in your life? Pray. Now, I didn't say happiness because happiness comes and goes, ebbs and flows. 
Happiness comes from the old English word happenstance, hap, happiness, happenstance. We get our word circumstance from the same word. If your hap is good, you're happy. If your hap is bad, you're unhappy. So we're all over the page on that. But joy is a constant, or it can be. Joy is a thing you can have when your heart is broken. Joy is a thing you can have in, the, in moments of despair. Joy is something you can have uh, in times of sorrow and grief. God will give you joy. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus said, you get the joy when you pray. So it deals with worry. It helps me handle joy. He said in Matthew 6, I just read it up in verse 8, prayer isn't making him aware. When you go to him to pray, to pray, recognizing he is our father, he's providential. I'm not catching him up to speed. I'm not saying, you know, Heavenly Father, I've been away from you for a while, and I saw it's going to be a little time here. I hope you got a minute. I got to catch you up to what's going No, no, no. You can take up right where you are. Prayer isn't making him aware. Prayer is simply aligning yourself with God's purpose for your life. Prayer is simply you and I acknowledging who he is and whose we are, and we're simply saying, God, now we're back in connection with you. We want to hear from you. We want to be sensitive to you. All that happens, folks, when we pray. By the way, prayer is God's way of blessing you. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Psalm 84.10 says, he will not withhold any good thing from those who love him. What am I suggesting to you this morning? I'm just saying Jesus taught the principle of providence. He said, when you come, recognize who he is. Recognize that through the power of prayer, he can provide the greatest needs of your life. So you have the principle of providence. Here's second principle. You have also the principle I'm calling the principle of dependence. Listen to what he said. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you get the phrasing of that? Because that's significant. He didn't say, as many of us pray, Father, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. Sometimes we go into heaven and we're so used to getting it our way, you know. And we go into heaven and we can kind of say, well, okay, God, I want it this way. This is the way I think it would work best. You know, God, if you could just change her, change him, change this, change that. If I had more of this, less of that. And we go into our, oftentimes in, in the presence of God, back to that pride thing, right? Thinking we've got our life figured out and we know what's best for us. And so we go into God and we basically say to him, all right, God, I'm going to need you to listen to this. You got a note? You're writing this down. I need my will to be done in heaven as my will is being done on earth. Jesus said, that's not how you pray. You pray with a sense of dependence on God. Sometimes we have too much willpower. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is simply suggesting that when you go to your heavenly father, you say to him, no, well, yes, you lay your petitions before him. I'm not saying you don't ask for specific things. I'm not saying that it's wrong to go into God and say, here's what I think, here's what I'd like, this is what I hope happens. I'm not saying you don't pray that way, but I'm saying when you get on into the prayer, you have to be willing to say this, not my will, but yours be done. You have to say, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see the difference? You remember when Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal before the cross? The Bible says when he prayed and his sweat dripped his great drops of blood, and in his prayer, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was not asking to get out of the cross because the Bible says in Revelation 13, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't a victim on the cross. He came into the world to go to the cross 
Well, what was he praying? What was he hoping that he could get around or get away from? It, it was this. He was praying that if he could go to the cross, get this, without becoming the object of his father's scorn. That's what he desired. He said, God, I know on the cross I'm going to become sin. And when I'm on the cross... When I become sin, you're righteous and holy, and you said you cannot look upon sin, and you'll have to turn your back. And God, if I could somehow go and pay that price for the world without you having to turn your back on me, let this cup pass from me. And then he said this incredibly powerful word. Are you ready? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Every prayer you pray, you need a nevertheless in your prayer. When we go to God in prayer, we say, God, here's what we want. Here's what I'm praying for. But nevertheless, you know what's good. You know what's right. You're righteous. You're holy. You're too good to do wrong. You're too wise to make a mistake. I trust you. I've told you before, I'll say again, God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. He can be trusted. And Jesus said, man, you got to include that. Nevertheless, he said, and I'm just suggesting to you that when uh, we go to him in prayer, we're, a lot of times we're like those three Hebrew teenagers in Daniel 3, remember? Nebuchadnezzar said, you need to renounce your faith and you need to bow before this false God. And they said, no, sir, we're not. And he said, well, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they said, well, you may do that, but our God is powerful enough to deliver us from this. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, we won't recant our faith. Is your faith big enough to be able to say, even if he doesn't? I've told you before, it's not a matter of having enough faith to be healed. Do you have enough faith not to be healed? What if God tells you no? He's told me no. What if God doesn't answer the prayer that you pray in the way that you prayed it, hoping that he would and not seeing any other way or reason why he wouldn't? And yet he goes a different route. Can you with a humble heart be able to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine? Can you be able to say as those three Hebrew children, but if he doesn't, we're still going to be standing for him? That's what Jesus was saying. There's a dependence that we have on God where we say, God, I may not agree. God, I may not understand, but I trust you. I'm dependent on you. Third principle that he taught in this model prayer was a principle I call acceptance acceptance. Here it is. He said, I'm going to accept your provision. Give us this day our daily bread. You remember when the children of Israel going across the wilderness and God gave them fresh bread in the morning? All they had to do is go out and pick it up. <laughs> and he's saying, look, I'm going to give you enough bread, daily bread. I'm going to give you enough bread to handle today. I'm not going to give you more than you need. I'm not going to give you enough you can go sell. <laughs> I'm going to give you what you need today. The principle in the prayer is simply this. God will give you what you need when you need it, as you need it. God is able to, to take care of your needs. God is able to supply everything. Uh, uh, in fact, the Bible teaches this reality that uh, God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I taught that principle a few weeks back. He talks not only about accepting provision, he goes on to say accepting forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The idea of debt is analogous to sin. So he's saying, God, forgive us because as I said last week, we can't walk through a dirty world and stay clean because as your children, we got to take shower. <laughs> We're going to get dirty. May not intend to, but it's just going to happen. It is what it is. 
So 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we get clean. And then he goes on to say, not only cleanse us, but cleanse and forgive others. Forgive those who have sinned against us. Sometimes that's hard to do. Hard to forgive someone who won't acknowledge that they've hurt you, who won't acknowledge they betrayed you, who won't acknowledge they've lied to you. It's hard to forgive someone who won't acknowledge that. But yet there's this power of forgiveness. So how does that work? Well, once you've confronted someone and once you've tried to deal with this and they refuse to say, well, that's your opinion and I have mine. Uh, that's the way you see it. I see it a different way. And once you've laid that out there, there's nothing, you can't fix stupid. And you can't take someone who has wronged you and harmed you and force them to acknowledge that or see that. So forgiveness means that that case, you got to get it out of you. So the idea of forgive in this case is to release, release. Some people, guys, you need to release. There's some things you need to release. I know why we hold them. We hold them because they're not reconciled and they aren't reconciled, not because we're not willing, but the person isn't willing. Well, you can't put your life hostage to the whims or the will of someone else. You can't do that. So what you do is you release it. Sometimes you have to do it every day. Remember when one of the apostles said, Jesus, how often do I forgive him? He said seven times 70, which is just continuous. <laughs> Meaning as often as they bother you and it bothers you, you got to say, I forgive them. I let this go. And here's what will ha happen. This has happened to me before. This has happened to you. See if this hadn't happened to you. When someone finally does, maybe years later, they have an epiphany. <laughs> that light bulb comes on. And all of a sudden they realize, you know what? I really did do them wrong. I shouldn't have said that. That was not fair. That was not true. I need to correct the record. And they come back and ask you to forgive them. You know what you can say? I forgave you a long time ago. And you can mean that. Because at some point in your life, you let it go. At some point in your life, you let them go. And I think that happens in a moment of prayer when I get before my heavenly father. And he says, son, there's some things you need to let go of. And in that solitary place that becomes a sacred space, God deals with things in my heart. And he goes on to say, and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's trusting God's guidance, accepting his guidance. I mean, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, with the temptation, he makes a way to escape. God will bring you through it. God will help you in it. God will get you over it. There's nothing too hard for him. So it's a matter of acceptance. Job said, the Lord gives, Job 1, and the Lord takes Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's the last thought and we'll go. It's the idea and the principle of confidence. Listen to the doxology of his prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know what he was doing? He said, before you close that prayer, give God praise. Thank him in advance for what he's going to do. You know why you can do that? Because his credit's good. <laughs> you can say, God, I'm going to thank you for what I know you're going to do. I thank you in advance. I believe in the, your, what you are, are, are going to do in my life is best for me. And so, God, before I've seen it, I thank you for it. It's the confidence you have when you go before him in prayer that you can give him praise. Listen to what John wrote in 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence, there's our word, that we have in him that if we ask anything, and here it is, according to his will, he hears us. 
And then again in John 14, 13, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He said, if it's according to my will and if Jesus can be glorified, the Father can be glorified, I'm probably going to do it. When you come to the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Years ago when our kids were little, we would take them to the, to the little uh, county fair in Keller, the Lions Club, sponsor it. And I would go, there was a ticket booth, and I'd buy a bunch of tickets. Cindy and I would buy those tickets for the kids. We'd try to find a bench or somewhere where we'd kind of track with them, but we could chill and watch them go do those crazy things. And we'd peel off the tickets, they'd go do the thing. And I noticed one time, here comes these little kids, and they're coming up saying, uh, hi, uh, we're friends of Shannon, and she said that uh, you'd give us some tickets. And I'm peeling off some tickets, giving them to these little kids. The little boy, hi, we're friends of Billy. He said that uh, if we asked you, you would give us some tickets. And so I'm thinking, why well, do you kids have parents? So I'm peeling off tickets, and I'm handing them to these little kids, and then it hit me. These kids are coming to me in the name of my children. I'm giving them something because I love my kids. I'm doing something for someone else because of the love that I have for my kids. When you go to the Father through the Son, you're saying, Heavenly Father, I humbled my heart at the cross and I received your Son. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose for me. And I revere, I respect, I honor his sacrifice. I knelt at the foot of the cross and I received him as my savior. And I'm here as one of your kids and I'm coming to the father, but I'm coming through the son and I'm coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, God has an ability to move heaven to earth when you pray that way. There's a beautiful old hymn, we sing it sometimes here. I heard it all my life growing up. Maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Friend, look, you can do more than pray after you pray. But you can't do more than pray until you pray. So let me challenge you to find that solitary place where it becomes a sacred space where you connect with God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of those who've watched and shared. Thank you for those who will watch the service at another time. I pray that you'll Bless every family, every business. Bless our first responders and our medical team. And bless all of those who go out and make life possible for us during this time. Lift, I pray, this pandemic from our nation and from our world. Heal our land. And Lord, I pray specifically if there's someone watching the service who's never trusted you as Savior. I pray that just simply swallow their pride and right where they are. They just pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin and be a reality in my life. And Father, I pray this will be a blessed day. I pray it'll be an incredible week. Thank you, Lord, for our food pantry and those who are able to 
help and volunteers. We take care of more than 500 families each week. Thank you for our staff and their engagements with thousands of our members each and every week. Thank you today for the blood drive where so many of our people are coming now to help the Carter Blood Bank Blood Center here in Fort Worth. Lord, we just want to be a church to minister the needs. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing Jesus, for the joy it is to make him known. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you again for watching our service. Thank you again, as I said, for sharing the service. And uh, we just are continuing to monitor things as we go week by week. I would also say that if you pray to receive Christ uh, at the close of this service, let me know. Just post that. Let us know. One of our staff, I'll respond to you. I want to know that. You would bless us by knowing that you have connected with your creator. It's the greatest decision you've ever made. I pray this will be a great week for you guys. Uh, again, we're available to you. We'll do everything we can to help you. We love you. We miss you. We pray soon. This will be behind us, and it will be soon. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.